want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, play hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Unsights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, did you watch the Super Bowl this week? She said knowing the answer. <laughs> uh, no, although um, I forget who it is uh, on my Twitter feed said this and I completely agree. I don't care about the Super Bowl, uh, but it may have been Josh Rosenfeld or maybe it may have been someone else. I, I should be giving you credit, but uh, but they said if you wa- if you're more excited about the Super Bowl commercials than the Super Bowl I actually am a little bit better than you, <laughs> and I, I kind of, I kind of have to agree with that sentiment. If you're really that excited for the commercials, I, uh, I fear you a little bit. Well, especially because so many of them have been made available online already. You know, like as I was watching it, there, there are many very fun ads, and it's, it's part of the just the experience of watching it with other people and being, you know, on Twitter. It's always fun to be part of that communal experience and sit in the back of the classroom while people are passing notes, which is basically what it is. Uh, Twitter is. Um, but there were several there. I was like, haven't we? That was up last week. Um, but, you know, I do think that there's something to be said, even if you're not a sports fan, for the communal experience of the Super Bowl and having that t- cultural touch point. But, you know, I get sappy like that. So I don't know. Is there is there a Canadian equivalent? I know curling was happening at the same time. Uh, actually, it's funny that you ask, because as you may or may not know, uh, in Canada until recently, we could not see Super Bowl ads unless they were online. They oh. don't air on Canadian television. Um, however, I don't know if it applied to this year or not, but the CRTC, uh, Canadian, uh, you can look it up. Anyway, the people who who manage Canadian content uh, actually ruled this year that uh, they could be aired for the first time. So I don't know if that applied to this Super Bowl or not. But uh, so that's how we roll. We we cut to Canadian commercials on every on every break because they don't. I, I don't actually. I don't really never really understood why. Yeah, interesting. Well, uh, hopefully we'll hear from some of our listeners uh, with the the full story on that for this year's Super Bowl. Uh, of course, Super Bowl means that there was no TV on Sunday this week. No original TV, at least that we talk about, because we don't care about the blacklist. Sorry, guys. If if you've been listening to this podcast uh, for any amount of time, you should know we don't care about the blacklist. Um, however, that being said, if they got James Spader out in Jennifer Garner's alias outfit, that would have been impressive. Oh yeah, the 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 phase one. What was yeah. wrong with the red one? Yeah, that was. Yeah, I want to see that whole action set piece with James Spader in the Jennifer Garner role. I think that could be fun, and I think he would just yeah. like own it. I think he'd be game. Yeah, yeah. First off, at the end of the podcast this week, very glad to have Michael Price back on the podcast to do a DVD shelf segment about two of his favorite shows, which are uh, F Troop 
and the Phil Silver Show or Sergeant Bilko. It was great to talk with him again, and that'll be coming at the end of the podcast. Of course, for those who are unaware, Michael Price is one of the writers of The Simpsons. He has uh, an Emmy award, multiple Emmys, Annie Award, Writers Guild Award. He was one of the writers of The Longest Daycare, which is nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Short, as well as he's got a new show on Netflix this year. It was really cool to get to talk to him, basically. Um, but we'll be talking, at the, I will be talking, I should say, at the end of the podcast with him about Sergeant Bilko and F Troop. Have you seen either of those shows, Simon? No, but wasn't he one of the guys, uh, Michael Price, who took down Bin Laden? Something like that, right? That, that, sounds, that sounds about right. One of these things is certainly true, and that is the one. Uh, we need to start our listener feedback this week with a giant mea culpa uh, on my behalf, certainly, uh, maybe a little bit from you, Simon, but really, I'm the one who edits the podcast. This was my bad. And uh, Ricky, personal apology, Ricky. Uh, Ricky tweeted us to say, holy spoilers on Adventure Time without warning. I, th- I think there was an implied WTF in there. Um, you're absolutely right, Ricky. We did not put a spoiler alert. We did not leave time. We did not warn you. We just dove in talking about that week- last week's episode. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, I, You're absolutely right. We should have done that. I never think of Adventure Time as a show that can be spoiled, which is why it didn't occur to me. Uh, Simon, are you on the same page? Like, why didn't it occur to you? Usually we're so good about this. <laughs> we are, aren't we? Um, I, I see both sides. Like, I can definitely see if I hadn't watched that week's episode being like, what? Uh, from his perspective. On the other side, I, I absolutely agree that in my head, uh, Adventure Time is not about plot and therefore not spoilable. But, I mean, lately it is kind of plot heavy, so it's kind of fair. So we will be much more careful about that uh, moving forward. And again, profuse apologies. Hopefully we didn't ruin anyone's uh, experience watching Adventure Time because we want you to watch Adventure Time because we love Adventure Time here at the Televerse. Oh, my glob. All right, what's next? Okay. Um, also, I heard from Jackie Caney who says we should check out Manhattan, Arizona on YouTube, an offbeat comedy that ran on USA from 1999 to 2000. I'm not familiar with this. Are you familiar with this? No, I, I still haven't gotten to Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, I won't be watching that. But uh, but Manhattan, Arizona, uh, yeah, I, I've, I had not heard of this. We always appreciate hearing from people telling us that we should uh, check out shows that we haven't heard of because uh, it's easy to feel like we've seen all of, like, everything, or we at least have a passing familiarity with stuff, so it's nice to, to hear from you guys about uh, offbeat shows that we should check out. Um, Carl, my book on poetry, put together a totally sweet uh, clue board of secrets. Secrets. So we have Mrs. Peacock, uh, the Dowager Countess is Mrs. Peacock, Olivia Pope is Miss Scarlet, Walter White is Colonel Mustard, uh, James Spader's character, Red, right? Red is Mr. Green, Kalinda is Mrs. White, and um, the guy who says Miller, uh, David David Tennant's character on Broadchurch or Grace Point, however you want to do it. Take your pick, yes. uh, Is Professor Plum. I can't remember his character name. I just remember on Grace Point him saying really heavy R's in Miller. Um, Miller. But I think these are all excellent choices for shows and characters specifically. Uh, who who have strong a strong connection to secrets? 
Um, and we'll be talking a little bit more about those later in the show. But thank you, Carl. Always uh, love any any of this stuff that you put together uh, for us. Talk some good eats with Kyle, Noel, Jason, and Les. Have you have you started? Are you familiar at all with good eats, Simon? Uh, no, I. I may or may not have ever actually made an Alton Brown recipe, but no, I've not seen Good Eats. See, eventually we're going to do a Good Eats DVD shelf, and it's going to be awesome. But part of the homework for you is going to be to watch a bunch of episodes, but then to make a few of the dishes. Uh, I, I made This came up because I made a delicious, mwah, delicious coconut cake this week. I love Alden Brown's coconut cake recipe. It was my grandma's birthday and she requested coconut cake. And so I was like, boom, we're going to do this. Uh, so that's how, why it came up. But I highly recommend that to any of our, it takes like a day because you have to like roast the coconuts. Oh, man. I'm on like a strict marathon diet here. It's going to be tricky. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure, he has a episode about how to make your own protein bars. Mm. There's all sorts of stuff. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, that'll happen eventually. Looking forward to figuring that out. Uh, also, we should mention that Spartacus is now officially on Netflix, guys. We, I was talking about this with Beth. Uh, Sean Coletti is going to be uh, reviewing it for us at Sound on Sight week to week. Very excited to start his coverage up, I think, this week. Um, but there's no excuse now, guys. There's no excuse. No, and don't wait for Sean's reviews. You Just start By the watching. end of this week... We want everyone who's listening to this who hasn't already, and some of you have, to watch all of Spartacus because you have no excuse. If you have Netflix. Yeah, if you have Netflix. Uh, but anyways, that is uh, very excited to have that there. And I'm sure as uh, gratitude to Sean for covering Spartacus for us. And I look forward to reading along and rewatching along. And it's going to be fun. Um, I also want to mention about Sound on Sight that the, the lovely folks from Eat the Rudecast are doing a Twin Peaks podcast. Uh, and the, that's the damn good podcast. And it's going to be co-published at the at Life on the Swing Set and at Sound on Sight. So it is co- they're coming to Sound on Sight, guys. Very excited. Oh. So, yeah. Week to week, they're going through I the whole show. That. Yeah. So so uh, very happy to welcome uh, uh, Cooper and Ophelia and Miko to the Sound of Sight family. Looking forward to listening to the podcast, guys. Uh, so that's coming. I don't know exactly when in the near future to Sound on Sight. The last thing I got to mention is, we, Simon, we got three reviews in iTunes. What? Like three, this week? Like, well, it, I think they took a while to come through because iTunes hates us. Uh, but I went and checked because <laughs> I check every week. And last week, iTunes told me there were new, no new ones. And this week, they told me there was one from the 9th and one from the 17th and whatever. But we got a five-star review from Z- uh, Zelik Man? Zelik Man? I, I, I probably said your name wrong, dude. I'm assuming it's a dude because there's man at the end. Um, and also Textual Poacher. Um, so Zelik Man says, top-notch television podcast, insightful and fun. Thank you very much. Uh, Textual Poacher says five stars because you guys cut down on the puns. Seriously, Simon, you can ease up on the puns. Also, shipping is not creepy. And how about we have a New Year's resolution that no one should have to apologize for it in 2015? I think that's a great, great idea. Um, great job on uh, the Hannibal podcast. And you guys could go for two hours each episode and I would still listen every week. I don't think there can be higher praise than that. We will try to keep this week's episode under two hours. We should be able to do it. What do you think? We we should. I'm still confused about the pun thing. I don't remember making an, an unusual amount of puns. Do I? Do I? Do I pun a lot? I apparently we're punning while not like realizing it. It must. Maybe there was like a few weeks there where we were heavy with it, but it was unintentional punning. Textual poacher. Just so that you know, we we're not going out Fair of enough. our way to pun. Uh, 
I I should also clarify that any uh, any anti-shipping or slanty eyes at shipping uh, remarks were were purely based on my own prejudice. I don't actually think other people shipping is creepy. I'm just talking about my own life. Like if I if I start to think too much about the inner lives of people who aren't real. I look askance at myself and be like, why is this happening? And then I start to self-evaluate and then I start to, then the, then the self-flagellation starts. It's just, it's really ugly. It's nothing to do with anyone else. If I don't look too deeply into the lives of fictional characters, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. So I, maybe that's why it's a good partnership here. Um, Redbird05 gave us a four-star review. A must for Hannibal fans. Best, most consistent all-around TV podcast. Boosh. So, hey, that's great. Uh, Kate and all the other hosts have a good variety of opinions. So there's someone for everyone. So thank you so much, guys. It really does. It it means more than it should, really, frankly. We should be more, you know, less reliant upon actually getting feedback. But it's a rare thing for us, so we do very much appreciate it. And, hey, if you're out there and you're listening to the podcast and you haven't let us a review, left us a review on iTunes or a rating, we'd really appreciate it. So you could head over to you iTunes. really would. And be like <laughs> these three people, uh, lovely people. So thank you all so much. But now we're going to work on that goal of under two hours <laughs> this week and uh, take a break and come back with, with our weekend comedy. So we'll be right back after this. In comedy, I'm going to talk a little bit about Parks and Rec, Grizzlebox, and Save JJ's. Uh, and then we have Archer, Edie's Wedding, Man Seeking Woman, Pitbull, Broad City, Wisdom Teeth, Adventure Time, Gold Stars, and then, of course, Jane the Virgin, Chapter 11, which is the episode from last week. Not this week. Uh, first off, I did just also want to mention that Fresh Off the Boat is starting this coming week on ABC. It has They're airing two episodes a week for this week and next week. This week it's on Wednesday. Next week it's on Tuesday. Uh, but I did very much enjoy the first few episodes. Uh, if you want my thoughts on that, you can go to our mid-season preview. But I figured I'd mention it that you know to you guys that that, that is starting up this week. Parks and Rec this week had Grizzlebox and Save JJ's. I know, Simon, you haven't had a chance to catch up with these yet, but I did really like these episodes. Uh, they're having a fantastic final season with Parks and Rec as far as I'm concerned. I loved the stuff with the grizzle box, the, uh, the, 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 the town meeting, uh, where they, the town actually agrees with Leslie for once, um, having Ron Swanson shoot a robot out of the air, uh, was pretty fantastic. And, uh, save J- JJ's diner was also another really fun episode. Loved getting the one more treat yourself. And, uh, I thought they did a better job of toning down maybe the, uh, some of the, the future jokes. Um, so I really like these episodes quite a bit and uh, they're definitely in contention for me for best of the week. Of course, Key and Peele had their Super Bowl special, hour long special. Uh, what did you, what did you think of, of this? And uh, does, does Queen uh, Alice and Janney reign supreme? Hail Janney. Um, 
uh, I was I had mixed feelings on this. The first uh, thirty seven minutes or so, I thought were really spotty. Uh, I was really not sold on the concept of a forty five minute Keen Peel episode, to be honest. And I also don't care about football, so some of the more football specific gags felt flat. Uh, that being said, Timothy Omenson's appearance as a world-class racist was amazing, <laughs> and he needs to be on the show more, because he, he has such a great repartee with them. Did not see that coming. That was great. Um, m- much more disappointed by Wendell Pierce's appearance, which was which was not at all funny, and which was also a, a, a failed, a rather um, missed opportunity to do a 30 for 30 sketch. Um, also, I was annoyed that it was called 60 for 60 for no apparent reason. Because uh, 30 for 30 is because it's 30 films, 30 years. Anyway, doesn't matter. That was just a totally side thing that bugged me. That being said, the last four-minute switch, which had been built up to, I think, quite slyly, to a post-apocalyptic Super Bowl coverage special was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I was more on board with the first part than the end. I thought it was, it, you know, there's a nice turn and everything, and I'm glad that it was actually a, a significant segment not just like a last 30 seconds kind of thing that it cuts to black i like when we came back you know after the initial takeover um but no the the stuff earlier did on the whole work for me i agree the the scout scouts did not i I was an unfortunate waste of those of those actors abilities but um you know and when timothy omison showed up I don't know if you remember this because I was talking to you as I was watching it. Um, I was like, oh, shit, Omenson, because he's great. He's I always love when Timothy Omenson shows up and stuff. And now that Gallivant's over, I really hope he shows up somewhere else. I'd love to see him do some more dramatic work because I think he's very good at it. But he's also hilarious. Uh, and the man can wear a beard. Damn. Uh, anyways, because I think that fit well with what they were doing with the character here on Key and Peele and, of course, obviously Gallivant. But um, but anyways, uh, yeah, there, there's I, I was very glad to see several of these different people pop up. I liked the stuff with the scrum. I liked the the bickering back and forth. I've also seen a lot more halftime shows, I'm guessing, or, or, or football coverage than you have, maybe. Uh, oh, yes, definitely. So, yeah, I'm As very – I you know I really got a lot of um I I really got a lot of enjoyment out of the the bantering back and forth and like the connections and all that stuff that all uh, resonated with me so that might be part of it as well. Um, I I think that my favorite thing about the 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 turn at the end wasn't necessarily the big over the top jokes. It was more like the way um they were building up this gag about how oh one of them has a Super Bowl ring and the other one won eight Power Bowls and they have this rivalry and then it blows up and you think that's going to be the joke. But then the actual joke is when the apocalypse happens and they're just both terrified yeah. <laughs> and all and all divisions have been erased. Yes. That to me was a truly inspired turn. Yeah. And uh, just to prevent the email, Pro Bowl, a, a time Pro Bowl, not Power Bowl, because Power Bowl is, oh, is not a thing. Power Bowl, same letters. Pro does not have all the same it's, letters. It's got the power. same. It's, okay. You, well, you know yeah. what I meant. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Football. Well, let, <laughs> let's move on to our next uh, show. That's, of course, Archer, which had its episode this week at Edie's Wedding. We haven't really talked about Archer this season um, because there's been so much comedy going on, so many different shows to talk about. Uh, this was one of my favorite uh, of the season, I think, So of the ones I've seen so far, the first like six or seven. Um, how did you feel about Edie's Wedding? I think like you, I sort of binge watched <laughs> the screeners that we got and we're like yeah this was this was some solid archery uh but I, this one does stand out because i feel like pam centric episodes always do and also field trip episodes which probably only happen once or twice a season and usually uh, berry episodes and uh, yeah that's right uh berry this is also a berry episode 
Um, I really, I really dig Barry as a villain. I'm not surprised they didn't have the balls to kill him off. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, it's it's definitely it's an, it's an extremely consistent season of Archer from what we've seen. Uh, there's an episode that we haven't gotten yet in those screeners that is the one that I'm most curious about this season, and I'm not going to say anything else. But uh, very very curious to see what that one's going to look like. But I. I can't say anything else. So that's not very helpful, that's but this was a helpful. fun episode. No. I, <laughs> Sorry. And I, like you say, Pam episodes are always fun, particularly because the dynamic with Pam and Archer, I think is always, it, it, Pam brings out, especially when she's vulnerable, brings out uh, uh, the, the best in, in Archer or some of the best in Archer. Um, and it's nice to see him begrudgingly support her. Um, and meeting her family is also they do I think they do a good job with that as well. So um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a fun like you say a fun field trip episode when she's like all tied up, trussed up in the dress and everything. Uh, it, it's just ridiculous and and so much fun to watch her just pull down the rafters because you know mm-hmm. Coke Pam may be gone, but the the beast still rages within. But less uh, less notable for me on FX or FXX this week is Man Seeking Woman, Pitbull. And I have my review for this up at the AV Club. I stayed out of the comments for this one because I did not like this episode. And particularly, I had some issues with its gender representation and uh, some of the kind of squicky undertones. But I'm curious what you... We haven't had a chance to talk about this one, Simon. I'm curious what you think about it. And it's very possible that this is just... And I thought this as soon as I started watching it. This is just not an episode for me. Just It feels like uh-huh. it has no interest in me and my experience. Like, I'm not going to be able to relate to this. As a woman, I will not be able to directly relate to what's going on in much of this episode. And so, you know, do, is, that, is it just a disconnect there? Or is there are there larger issues? Um, I think it's a little bit of... Each column, uh, this is, I think the major problem with the episode really is that it's the least funny of the three mm-hmm. uh, that we've seen. It's, as we've said, this is a show that commits to some very uh, risky comedic ideas. And uh, that's that means it's, you know, it's, high, it's a high risk, high reward proposition. So when it, when it works, it really works uh, in you know certain sequences. And there's nothing that really works in this episode. Uh, there are some light chuckles here and there, like the whole pre- pre-going out ritual starts off really lame and then by the time they get to puzzling is kind of funny especially with the little magazine uh and the puzzle itself is great obviously but um <laughs> but then the other high concept gags in the episode i don't think really work and like the whole like losing your dick thing uh is a really elaborate joke around impotence like it's just mm-hmm. it's it's not i feel like the other the other metaphors or the other like metaphorical gags they've been going for have been a little bit um have been more rooted in, in an emotional truth than in just like base physical humor, which is what this was, which was less interesting to me. But of course the, the real contentious part of the episode for you was uh, the spiral eyes, which is uh, something that the uh, Eric Andre's character does. Uh, and this gets dicey uh, because it's implied in the episode. It's actually not implied. It's, it's directly uh, outright said. Shown, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that well, I I think I'm gonna say something different than what you think I'm gonna say. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh when Eric Andre talks about oh well when I was a teenager a wizard visited me and I learned how to do spiralize. Well, which is a very and funny what he sentence. says is that well you know you know how when everyone 
when when you reach puberty, a wizard appears in front of you. It's like, and you don't know if right. it's just that that's his perception because it happened to him, or if it's happened to everybody who isn't Josh. Right. So there's a there is an execution problem where, uh, it's because and this is the this is the male experience part talking now, which is where things don't necessarily click for you. It is frustrating when you're a person who uh, is dating or wants to be dating or blah, 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 and you are absolutely uncomfortable with the physical act of going out to a bar or especially a club and trying to talk to women who don't. And then seeing other guys who are insanely comfortable with the idea and you, it seems like alien behavior to you. And so I, th- I think they're trying to represent that through. At, you know, in the, in a similar way to what happens in the rest of the show, and the idea that everyone but Josh can do spiralize, I think that would have worked. We don't see that happen. We only see Mike doing spiralize, and that I think hurts the resonance of the thing. So I think on with a slight uh, with a slight twist of execution, I think the bit could have worked fine. Um, I think like even just like an, an insert shot shot or two of of other guys doing it. Uh, I think without well, that, it does get a little bit squicky. Well, and also, I'll raise you one there. How about the girl who drags him on the to to do these shots and come away with him? Why doesn't she have the spiral eyes? And that's how she gets Josh to go out. Why does it have to be a gendered thing? Because I know exactly what it feels like to not want to go out to the bars and to look at other people who do who are there and who are comfortable. Other women who are at at the bar dancing or I don't think that needs to be anywhere near as gendered as it is and I think it's I get annoyed at that sense that all women who go out to the bars are are comfortable and confident and they're just waiting for the asshole who who saunters up I think that that is a ridiculous ridiculous conception that that certain people have about how women feel and behave at bars I don't want to go I'm the Josh in this in this scenario and and yet I still was very in the moment, it worked for me, but the more I thought about it, it was an absolute yeah. fridge moment for me. Because that means that every Mike tries not not mind controlling a woman into drinking the alcohol he gives her, and he joshes it, and 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 he's like, "Oh, I don't like that. I'm going to go back to mind controlling all of the women that I see because I can, right. and that's okay." Rape culture. I know. I'm sorry. I can't not see it, guys. <laughs> I'm sure I'm alienating yeah, some of our listeners, but I just... Well, and it's like uh, and the thing is like I don't disagree. It's just it's 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 a tricky thing where it's like you know, Simon Rich based the show on his books which were based on his experiences and from what I understand, over the course of the books, uh there is a there's a process of evolution uh that is supposed to be represented on the show, but it's not going to happen overnight. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh, that that being said, I haven't read the books and I don't know Simon Rich personally, so I can't vouch for that. I do think that it's difficult to, um, to, <laughs> I think what the show is trying to do is to honestly represent, um, sort of a beginner's or less of all perspective on dating from, a, from specifically a male vantage point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in a way, God, this is going to sound terrible, but in a, in a way, to present it in in a in an evolved fashion would sort of be dishonest. Um, well, I, I just I just think okay. So I, here's here's where I run into trouble. I wish I wish y'all could see the face she just made at me. Yeah, I know. I here, I, I applaud your your continuing like, is, and I'm, I promise I'm not judging you. And I absolutely see what you're saying because I do think it is an effective metaphor for a conversation I've heard 
um, annoyingly passive characters that are full of shit say all the time. Oh, they don't. Right. You don't want to date the the good guy. You you know the emotionally manipulative, actually just passive, not good guy. You want to go after the jerk who's. I mean, look, okay, so Mike, not very evolved, no, but confident, fun, and you know like, he's a fun guy to hang out with. Why wouldn't you want to go dance with him if you know if he's not being right. an asshole to you? <laughs> and the the thing is, like, the, the, what the show is doing, and like. Or, or, and that's the thing, it's a new show, it's hard to gauge these things, mm -hmm. so maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but I think what they're trying to do is to honestly represent that conversation. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily saying that conversation is real or accurate. I think that the way, like, like you saying, the, the, the fact that certain aspects of the, of the presentation suggest that maybe that level of self-awareness is not there, other things suggest that maybe it is. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of hard, it's very difficult to tell where the truth lies. And I think that that's that's why I, I totally can't disagree with or discredit your reading. Well, I also think for me, a big part problem with that is, again, the gendered aspect. He gets his his sister convinces him to go out running the next morning at 7 a.m. when he's planning to go out to the bars with Mike. Why isn't that a spiralized moment? Uh, but because, again, that's not it's convincing I, I, you to uh, do something completely out of out of behavior for him. Because the subject of the episode, or rather, specific, I, or rather, I see from from the writer's perspective, the metaphor is not, you know, it's not the spiralize is not a metaphor for generally convincing people of anything. It's specifically for, it's specifically a representation of not understanding confidence. the way other men, not understanding specifically co like confidence or uh, behavior within that that setting. It's okay. not for, it's not a generalized metaphor for. You know, convincing someone to do something outside okay. their wheelhouse. Okay, and that's very that's a true. It's a it's a good point. But it, and again, when you have every woman portrayed in this episode is a downer. Like the way that like the the advice that Liz is giving Josh is actually generically good advice, but it's not what he needs to hear in this moment, and it's not like she's completely oblivious of oblivious to to him. And so even though. From you know, if even though it's actually like figure out yourself and make sure that you're you're in a good place before you dive into something new, that's not bad advice or anything. But the show plays it like it's terrible because it's not what he wants to hear. And then we see the other, next woman that we meet is Sarah at the bar, right? Who pretends to be interested in him long enough to get a twenty dollar drink and then disappears, even though he's being lovely right. to her. So she's a bitch. Basically, uh, and then we meet the girl who he spends the whole night with him uh, partying, and then as soon as he can't pleasure her, she she's completely un like it's. There's not a single positive female representation in this episode. Quick side note: the girl, by the way, is Emily Hampshire, who you may or may not recognize as being the queen of Canadian content. <laughs> ah. uh, she's also on Twelve Monkeys mm -hmm. uh, and a bunch of other junk. She's yeah. in a movie with Jay Baruchel. Anyway, whoop whoop. Um, also, another quick side note, the one aspect of him losing his dick and, and supposedly not being able to pleasure her that I did like was uh, Tim Heidecker reading my thoughts and being like, you know, you can do other stuff. <laughs> yeah. And giving yeah. him that little that little pep talk. And that was the one aspect of mm -hmm. Tim Heidecker's otherwise pointless appearance that I actually did like. Yeah. Um, well, and the thing, anyway. here's the thing. If I was laughing, it wouldn't bother me. Exactly. Yeah. But I wasn't yeah. laughing. There was no text JK moment. You know, that, that, yeah, no. that's the real, that's the real problem here. And the, the dick falling off thing didn't make, like, I was sitting there thinking, wait, but why did the dick fall off there? He hadn't had that much to drink then. That doesn't, and if everything is literally, see, and as soon as I'm thinking about this stuff, the show has failed because I should be laughing.
Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, it's, it's, there are some chuckles here and there, and I did like the touch at the end of them both having left Yes, that was a really nice, funny touch. But, uh, but yeah. I mean, the other thing is, like, comedy is hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially yep. new comedy is hard. And it had an above average first couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm willing to allow, again, that it's doing risky stuff, really, really risky stuff on several levels. And it's going to stumble sometimes. And I'm hoping that, uh, we have fewer uh, f- fewer occasions for uh, brutal sectarian violence on this show. <laughs> well, and again, the because we're diving into it, and because I, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I could do this all day. This is why I watch TV. <laughs> it sounds like I'm yeah. way more anti this show than I actually am. This, like you said, this is the third episode of a comedy. Comedy is hard. This is doing a lot of high risk, high reward comedy. It's not a big deal. I don't like hate the show forever or anything. I don't think everybody involved is misogynistic and the worst at all. Just this episode just didn't work for me. And this that was a lengthy discussion as to why. <laughs> yes, and I'm and I I apologize in advance if anyone thinks we're being totally ridiculous for having spent like six minutes on that. Oh, oh, anyway. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But let's move on to an episode that I did really like, which was Broad City's Wisdom Teeth. Oh man, when they're walking through Whole Foods, it's like. <laughs> granola oh the prices are so reasonable i was like oh my god this is amazing nothing about this episode should have worked honestly really like, i think so much of it uh i mean i i think if you look at it on paper like oh like abby has to get a teeth pulled out she's on drugs it's like there's lots of individual parts of the episode i think read is like pretty standard or hacky sitcom fair okay but they're both i, I just think that they're both such gifted physical comedians that they can coast on that for an entire episode no problem and yeah the whole the whole idea of her leaving uh what is it jeremy his name like a 23 minute voicemail message and every interaction between them was was fantastic and uh and and beautifully awkward i also like the show's very casual approach to serialization Mm -hmm. uh on on things like that uh, where they can do that this episode and it's fine. They could forget about it for a couple weeks. Doesn't matter. Kind of reminds me of early Louis in that sense. But yes, definitely the the whole sequence of her being followed around by what? Or being led, rather, by what was that exactly? Her stuffed animal? I, I, what I kind would, of animal? I would guess that it was invented for the show just because of like trademarks and stuff, but it could also easily just be something that they were able to get the rights to, like an actual, a pre-existing character from something. It, it, it really reminded me of Totoro. Yeah, something like that, right? Only, like, isn't it like Peace Mortals or something like that at the end? Yes. Yeah, no, that was <laughs> yes. that was delightful. I had so much fun this episode. Even just a small thing like Lincoln going, yeah, I should have seen this coming. I should. This is really, this is <laughs> yeah, really yeah, my totally, fault. Totally, this is on me. Yeah, it was a fun episode. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's talk about Adventure Time, Gold Stars, uh, because this is another mythology, you know, tangentially mythology mythologically important episode also it could just be a standalone um, i'm sure they'll come back to some of the stuff later do you notice how i'm giving you guys time to fast forward if you want because that's what's happening <laughs> yes. right now um however i gotta say these last couple episodes while they've been interesting and i've enjoyed them i haven't uh they, they don't come anywhere near the even the average of last year for me and i'm wondering if that's just if, is that just me simon uh am i wanting too much are my expectations too high for adventure time right now 
Uh, I'm going to reserve judgment on that thought until we see where this is all going. There's only a mm-hmm. couple episodes left in the season, as I understand it. Although it seems like the episode number keeps just ticking higher and higher. Um, this episode in particular, like I, I spent most of it thinking, okay, this is kind of amusing, but I, I don't really know where this is going. But then when we get that that switch near the end when uh, the lich takes over <laughs> and we get just a minute of pure coal black darkness... <laughs> I thought that was awesome. That was pretty that great. Completely, that completely, re- re- not just redeemed, but sold me on the whole conceit uh, for the episode. And it was just, it was a perfect example of a of Adventure Time taking like a very familiar set of story tropes or or you know kid show tropes. First day of school, you know, learning how to deal with bullies, and then like completely turning it on its head and or taking it to the to this insane extreme that no one would ever deal with. Um, and yeah, and the the whole notion of of the lich taking residence inside this adorable, overgrown man baby is uh, very fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah, it could easily tie in with the way that everything has been building. I would be surprised actually if it didn't, uh, given the glimpse we got of Finn's dad last week. Um, so there's you know there's there's a lot theoretically to come with it, and you're right, there are some some pretty, particularly fun moments there, just like the the King of U cowering in Toronto, <laughs> his uh, his <laughs> yeah his buddy or whatever that was. Um, yeah, that 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 was really pretty spectacular. Um. But as uh, on a whole, you know, just it's not, yeah. it's not fair to not mind time. You but, know, it can do better. But it's not lemon hope. So I'm I'm hoping we get a lemon hope uh, this this year. Uh, let's move on to our last show in our weekend comedy. That's Jane the Virgin, Chapter Eleven. We saw Jane uh, interning on the set of Rogelio's soap opera. Uh, we got Judy Reyes, of course. People know her uh, from Scrubs as the head writer on the show and some other new uh, figures. How do you feel about this shift from the Catholic school? to the film set telenovela set i should say i don't i'm not sold on that yet and maybe it's just because that last scene with the writers where they're scheming now suddenly um i don't really know what that's about and i'm not sure i care to find out seems like they want to bring down rogelio and replace him with his assistant who wants to be the actor yeah um that doesn't interest me really at all me neither uh so that's that's concerning um can we t- can we play creepy not creepy though really quickly uh because uh, it seems to be my specialty. Um, Michael's little speech to her about how he was always always going to love her. And they feel right together. And, and her and Raphael just don't seem right. Um, struck me as a little bit creepy, to be honest. Um, and I, I know yeah. that from, it's, it's, slightly, it's slightly more defensible from his point of view. Because he has reasonably legitimate reasons to think that Raphael is dirty. But still, not cool, dude. Well, but that's not why it's that's not the reason that he's saying that he's saying that because they were engaged to be married and have been dating for two years and they've been broken up for weeks months it's hard uh it's not I, been it that long like about, at least a month okay at least but, a month yeah two years a month you got dumped after you know she gave you back the ring like that's that's a natural amount of time to still be in denial or you know trying to to win her back and still be completely hung up on this woman that you were planning to spend the rest of your life with so so while i do think i i do think it yeah it may be kind of creepy i think it's also genuine and from a theoretical good place you know that he's coming from he's not stalking her or anything like that it's just this is how he truly feels. He thinks he knows her better than she does. And, 
that she's making a mistake and yeah I, I i don't know so i think it's both i think it it's theoretic it's potentially creepy but it's also not possessive in such a way to be extra creepy i don't know i'm yeah. riding the fence here okay at least you're you're willing to acknowledge that it's a little bit cuz i don't know if i were his friend i would have said don't do that yeah oh yeah totally cuz like that's not it's not appropriate behavior for a person it's yeah, just that's... not like and the whole thing of like you're in the hospital and I'm in the hospital. It's like, fate. no, dude. Yeah, not I, fate. Well, I, yeah, exactly. That's like, but that's, if you're the friend, you're the, you know, that's your click, you're taking the phone away so they don't keep calling them. Yeah, I mean, totally. Uh, but this is, a, you know, this is a conversation he should be having with himself and not with her. Right. But, um, but, you know, but my, my bigger issue with Jane the Virgin is that. It's especially with the introduction of the writer's room and that whole set is very concerning to me because mm -hmm. the whole the notion of adding like a whole other set of scheming characters uh, who Jane's going to have to you know deal with. And like at a, at a certain point, I wonder, like, given how straightforward we know Jane to be, it's it's I think it's going to be tough for us to not wonder why doesn't she just say fuck all y'all mm -hmm. and go do something else. Well, yeah. And uh, the. the I don't I I think I agree with you with about it because I as fun as elements of the set I, first of all I like that they bring up there's no possible way you can do all of this we can, as fun as it would be for us to write scenes of you doing all of this and balance that between an episode that is insane and even we can't accept that on the show um, so I was glad of that but mm -hmm. it takes away the far more grounded world of the school and Jane is a grounded character surrounded by ridiculous events, right? So there's plenty of drama you can get out of a school, certainly a middle school, if you want to. That's easy. Um, and it can feel a lot more centered and, and down to earth compared with these other already ridiculous elements that are going around in her life with Sinrelstro and all this other stuff, too. So they would help counterbalance a little bit. But instead of doing that, they're doubling down on... It seems like it could easily end up with too much Rahelio. It could end up with too much of this other stuff. Um, and I also don't like... It just makes me nervous for Jane, too. It's like, hey, I want to believe that she's a good writer, but we can't trust anything that the head writer says because she's trying to manipulate. So all we know is that Rahelio said it wasn't good, but we don't know if we should trust his judgment. And it just... Uh... I hope it, it doesn't become the Rahelio show. Yeah, and it, it throws me into this, like, metacritical rabbit hole where it's like, so she's working on a telenovela. She's supposed to be a good writer. We want her to think she's a good writer. But she can't necessarily write well for telenovelas because telenovelas are all about scheming. And she's not really a schemer. So is it that she's a bad writer or she's just not good at writing scheming? And and then I start thinking about the show itself, and then mm -hmm. I blow my brains out. <laughs> oh, man. Any other thoughts on the episode, other, other corners of the episode this week? Um, not really. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, I just, I, I'm hoping for, I'm hoping that they just nip this telenovela thing in the bud, honestly. Yeah. I mean, that would, there, you can easily see different ways for them to fuel X number of episodes with these different storylines. And, um, I hope that it doesn't turn into the walking dead where we have half a, <laughs> like we have, we have eight episodes at one location and then we blow it up and we move to a new location, you know, a new job, a new, you know, set of, of crazy characters. Uh, so I, I don't think we have reason to, I don't think there's enough to warrant that fear necessarily, 
but that's something a, a lesser show would do. So I'm I'm hoping that my faith in Jane the Virgin is proven well founded and that they have something else up their sleeves to either ground the telenovela set or uh, backpedal to something that feels uh, a little less contrived. Agreed. Well, what wins your week in comedy, Simon? Oh, I will. I'm going to give it to Broad City. Well, Broad City was fantastic. Uh, hmm. I think I'll, I'll give it to Parks and Rec, though. Uh, the one-two punch of Grizzlebox and Save JJ's. If I have to pick one of them, I probably would go Grizzlebox just for the way it ends, but I don't think I need to. So Parks and Rec wins this week for me. Uh, and honorable mention to Broad City because that really was delightful. Um, now we'll take a break and we'll come back with a quick week in genre. genre i'm going to do a quick kate's roundup of banshee supernatural the flash and arrow and then simon and i will both talk a little bit about the 100 um banshee had real life is the nightmare we're going to talk more about this next week uh when we both have had a chance to, to watch both this one and and the, the next episode i like what they do with with siobhan here i think that works well again the structuring of the episode works well and uh as much as i don't care about certain corners of the show i think they do a good job of building uh, the stakes of different elements. And I, I, I thought the resolution with Siobhan was believable. I also like what we got with Carrie and with, uh, um, the daughter Diva. Uh, I can't remember her name right now. I'm sorry. I apologize. All the Banshee people out there. Um, but I did think that, that some of the lives, including the, the title line was just really contrived and not very good. But in general, I did like the episode and I'm looking forward to next week. Um, Supernatural, There's No Place Like Home, saw Charlie come back, always glad to have her back. The whole split personality thing was a bit much, but I do think they've done a really good job with that character, always keeping her... She's a character who constantly evolves, which is something I appreciate. Like she, It feels like she has a life off-screen. Every time we see her, she's a bit different, but it, if those changes feel organic, it doesn't feel like they just wrote a new character and we're like, let's bring Felicia Day back. I thought they incorporated the Oz stuff well, even if it was a bit on the nose, and... Uh, I would like to see Dorothy again, so hopefully, I think that's something that they can do, but um, I liked this episode, and I thought on the whole, it worked well, even if it was a bit uh, on the nose or broad, maybe, of an association with Charlie and what she's do dealing with with Dean. I really hope we're going to get Timothy Olmerson back as Kane at some point. Flash Sound of the Fury had one of their weakest episodes of the season. Very underwhelmed here. Hopefully, this is just a fluke, and we'll be back next week to more fun stuff, but I did like a little bit of what we got with Iris, and I am, am enjoying... Um, uh, uh, Barry living with Joe Arrow Midnight City so far I think they're doing an okay job dealing with uh, Oliver being gone and uh, I just wanted to mention that you know like 
the the black canary stuff is still a bit of a stretch but i like what we get with roy moore here and i just i need them i need them to to get pull their heads out of their asses about thea because if someone was mind controlling me to kill people and none of my friends told me and i was hanging out with this person a lot because nobody told me that i had been mind controlled to kill people by them like oh she couldn't handle it so let's continue letting her spend time with this person who's turning her into a killer it's insane it's like the Zoolander. I feel like everyone here is on crazy pills. That's the writer's room. That's the actors for not bringing it up. That's the fans for not demanding that they do something different. It's terrible. Anyways, other than that, I think they're doing it pretty well. And I, I like the flashbacks this week, which is a rare thing for me. Um, let's move on to The 100, Survival of the Fittest. What did, uh, what did you think uh, of this episode? We had a giant CGI ape. <sighs> okay, I'm sorry. But I'm not necessarily opposed to obvious CGI or whatever, but was it really that much better an idea than Guy in Ape Suit? Was it really? I think it probably uh, was, but especially for the, what they wanted them to do. But I, I mean, again, we, we discussed this already off mic, but you're talking to somebody who likes classic Doctor Who. So I'm not the person to ask about whether bad visual effects are an issue. I just, I, I mean, I, there were so many ways to do that better i thought they weren't necessarily more expensive or less convincing like mm -hmm. even if it had been at night it would have looked better but like broad daylight cheap cgi ape was not a good look um uh, anyway that was not the point of my problems with this episode um i'm perilously close to giving up on the hundred despite the fact that i just caught up with it i was gonna say are you breaking is... up with the show already <laughs> i i i almost can't because just based on the recent time commitment mm-hmm Although I may have to stop talking about it if it doesn't change. Uh, I'm There are certain things that it does over and over that I'm just really already sick of. Uh, I'm sick of the notion of character. And this kind of goes back to the whole 24 torture thing, really. Um, characters uh, who prove their worth to other characters via the amount of physical pain they can take. And also uh, unrealistic depictions of the effects of physical pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which are all over the show. Like, Octavia gets the living shit kicked out of her. And she's going to be training the next day, apparently. Like, uh, okay. Like, she's, like, you know, uh, like 110 pounds soaking wet. And she gets, like, brutally shit kicked by a guy twice her size. And she's going to be training the next day? I don't think so. Yeah, I think that is a, a very reasonable concern or problem to have with the show i like i certainly don't disagree with it and it would be nice to have the only character that on the show that has given up information under torture is murphy that that, that that's sink right. in for a while that's the only one the rest of them have had <laughs> the crap kicked out of them have been tortured uh have done all this and never never give up any information it's like it's okay for a hero to give up information under torture because they're being tortured. If you want to have the conversation of, is that effective? That's a completely different conversation, but that never comes up because no one who isn't a villain gives any, like says anything. They all remain right. stoically silent under, under duress. And that's how they show, like you say, that's how they show their, their worth. Why don't we see Clark get the crap kicked out of her and give up all the information and then, you know, have nobody judge her for it because she got the crap kicked out of her. Right. And by the way, Murphy looks like he takes a milk bath every day. He looks fine. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> like considering Freaking Murphy. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you're saying there's corners of the show like that you're just already tired of. You know what? I'm tired. I'm tired of Counselor Moses. We can can we just can we just send Jaha and Murphy away and have them both just die in the desert on their way to the Seriously, city of light? I would watch the entire rest of the show in perpetuity. I, like, okay, I'm crossing my fingers a little bit in this, but seriously, if in the next episode, if next week they start their their pilgrimage to the City of Light and both get eaten by giant worms, Tremor style, nice, that would be incredible. Like, I would watch the show forever, yeah. series pass, if they do that next week. It's not going to happen, but it's the one thing that would work. They um, don't need any of the adult characters at this point because Clark is the de facto leader right no. now. So the storylines they're coming up with are completely contrived for, for all of them. And less so for Claire, Clark's mom because there's stuff there. But like the stuff with the, the power struggle between her and Marcus and Jaha and like what's the right way to lead and, and all that stuff. I'm sorry. You're not actually leading stuff and you don't really know how to live down here and you have no grounds to really even have an opinion on anything so shut up and go stand in the back there and look menacing because i don't want to hear you talk especially if you're going to keep on and on about this magical city of light you've heard one person reference ever <laughs> yeah i mean like if if you were if you were at one of these strategy meetings uh i think we would be saying the same things look guys the forest is fine like with the, we're cool with the grounders now there's some cgi apes but other than that, lots of resources, lots of space is great. Only problem is that mountain and the crazy people in it. So let's deal with them, and then we're all totally cool. Let's not worry about a city of light. Let's worry about getting along. Nothing else matters. You know, you know, there's another city I've heard mentioned. You know, uh, there's a legend of it, Atlantis. I don't think Atlantis is real. I don't think it's a good idea to head for Atlantis. He's heard one. He's met like two different groups of people. Ever, because, you know, he's a sky person. Jaha, that is. And one of them mentions, oh, there's a city of light. We've heard tales, but it's so far away. We've never seen it. So clearly I should take my entire peoples on an unending quest through the desert. I mean, oh, God, you guys, well, and writers, the, you've done and this story already. You already had him not able to go to the <laughs> promised land and stay behind with his ship. And then you had a mystical baby that was his son. That was, you know, that was all actually I was good with that. And then he landed, you know, then he managed to unmoses himself already once. So you don't get to do that storyline twice. Yeah, I was really happy when I thought they were just going to kill him off. Oh, me and too. Then they didn't. Yeah. Um. So that was disappointing. Uh, they keep failing to. That's the here's my majorest beef with the hundred is that it keeps promising to kill people and it just doesn't. Like yeah. with the with one major exception, obviously. Yeah. Um, and that even that what I thought should have happened earlier. I will say though that uh, I actually was connected with Lincoln this this week, and I, when he takes the red, I felt it. I thought they did a good. I was like, run away, run away. Mm -hmm. Did that scene at least work for you? Yeah, that was good. Um, I mean, I I like I like the guy who plays Lincoln. I like the guy who plays Bellamy. Um, even though that's a last name, come on. That, yeah. Oh my God. Um, I hate that. That's his name so much. <laughs> Listeners, you didn't get to hear that part of the rant that that happened dirt while I was marathoning. <laughs> Poor Simon had to deal with that. But yeah, I hate that, that. That he is not a Bellamy. Come on. Yeah. Also, Raven free episodes not allowed. Not cool. No, I agree. Not cool. Uh, so I think mixing this now for me, what wins my week? in uh in genre i'm gonna give it to banshee uh you only have the hundred so are you 
Uh, are, do you want to put Key and Peel in here? Uh, no, I'm not going to count Key and Peel as okay. that. Okay, so so then it's just the 100, I guess, for... Yeah, I guess it, I guess it has to win. I was going to watch Banshee. I, I know I got mad at it last week. I was going to watch it. I just didn't have time. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we're going to talk Banshee. Don't worry, though. <laughs> we're going to talk Banshee next week. Um, so that wraps, wraps up our week in genre, and we'll be back in a moment to talk about our week in drama. in drama i'm going to talk briefly about elementary the one that got away then we'll both uh dive in with the parenthood series series finale may god bless and keep you always and then of course justified cash game babylon episode three and four or as sundance is calling them thameside center and victoria park um then fortitude we'll talk about the pilot the episode one and two and then we'll finish with the americans premiere estimate um so first up elementary i did want to mention this episode because i thought it was very good they did a wonderful job of uh, concluding the, the little mini arc that they had had. I'm trying to keep this spoiler free for people after our Adventure Time talk, uh, Adventure Time feedback from last week. Um, I really appreciated the performance, the, the, the central performances we got. The, the stuff we got with Sherlock and, and Kitty was fantastic. I mean, both actors really knocked that out of the park. I didn't realize I wanted a spinoff for one of the characters until I saw uh, uh, Miles McNutt mention that in his uh, AV Club review of this episode. And I was like, oh my God, yes, that needs to happen. It's not going to. And that's totally cool. We don't need another spinoff in this world. But uh, but I think the character and like the, the what they've set up could make that work. And that's impressive. I liked the, the, the literary tie-ins with this episode and the episode before I thought worked really well. They were subtle, but they were still there and they, they really worked. I liked the way, the way they tied in other things we had seen over the course of the season. And I'm looking forward to what's going to, going to happen next. Um, and I think that's as much as I can say without going into spoilers for people who have not caught up in elementary. Cause there were, there were a few other things airing this past Thursday. Uh, so I think other people may not have necessarily caught up with elementary yet, but they should because it was a really fun uh, because it was a really good episode I should say not necessarily fun uh, one of those big Thursday night uh, episodes was of course the Parenthood series finale may God bless and keep you always I have my review up at Sound on Sight and um, in my review really what I talked about was that Parenthood at this point it feels like I, the relationship I have with Parenthood Parenthood feels like family because it's like you know you you know Parenthood every watching at this point knows what parenthood is and it's really great at some stuff and some topics you just don't bring up in conversation because you know you're going to get annoyed uh you know for example schools and mayoral campaigns and etc uh but when it comes down to it i have a really soft uh really big spot in my heart for the series and i i really appreciate the type of storytelling that this show values, even if it can be annoying sometimes, even if it has no sense of reality when it comes to finances or putting together a wedding in a week. Um, this is a show that I think has had its heart in the right place. And there's not another show 
like it right now on TV, and I, I'm going to miss miss that. I'm going to miss what the kind of stuff that you can get from this show every week because and, and I saw this in a couple. I think it was either Todd Vanderwerf or Alan Seppenwall. I was reading all the reviews, uh, so it kind of all blended together. But one of, one of the other people who wrote up this episode talked about how Parenthood is very much known for being a show that gets people to cry. But it's the reason it gets you to cry and not feel like you've been, you know, <laughs> taken out back and punched until you were crying. You know, like it, is that it earns that because it makes you feel, it makes you really feel for these characters. And so uh, I'm going to miss the show. I have a feeling, though, that I am more positive on this episode than you were, Simon. I've, I, I was predicting that you would be ex- sort of exasperated with the show. Um, how, how did you come down with parenthood? Am I, should I give you, am I, am I reading you correctly or, or are you less jaded towards it than I think? Um, you're right and you're wrong, I suppose. Um, the, the thing about parenthood is that I wish it were better at stuff. Like I like the idea of parenthood so much. And obviously was it season four cancer season? Yeah. Um, it was so, it, that was such a great season of TV. Like it was mm-hmm. re- a really legitimately great season. Like, and the good parts of it were so good that if there were dumb parts, I don't remember them. I'm sure there were because it was Parenthood, uh, but I don't remember what they are. Um, I think that uh, you know when I was when when that uh, Javier Grillo Marhuash uh, article came out talking about how literally all shows are about broken families except for the Jason Kadem shows. <laughs> um, the two Jason Kadem shows. He, I don't think about a boy had happened yet. Although that is about broken families. Um, <laughs> um, you know, that was a very notable thing. And like parenthood is an absolutely singular show for that reason. Um, that being said, what the way it had evolved over the last couple seasons after the cancer season, including this one, um, I think had lessened my emotional connection to it to almost nothing. Uh, which if you don't have an emotional connection to the show, the show basically doesn't exist because that's what mm-hmm. it exists to do. Uh, it, I might've felt differently had I been watching it from the beginning, which I had didn't, uh, obviously you were able to maintain that emotional connection through these lean years. So good for you. Uh, I couldn't, and that that did make me resent the show when it was bad, which was often. Let's be clear. Um, and I, what I'm hoping is that some enterprising uh, other showrunners or would be showrunners are watching a show like Parenthood and think, "Wow, wouldn't it be great if a show that does all this stuff did it in a way that was at all realistic?" <laughs> to well, life? okay. I've, I've, I have some questions for you then, because okay. what is it bad at? You say it's bad. Or it needs to, it, I wish it did the same thing, but better. How so? Um, what is bad about it? I think that the things that are really galling are the representations of the way things work out for people. Um, the way that they're, just the, the total, I guess, I, guess, I mean, the lack of friction is either a feature or a, or a detraction, and I'll leave that to, for other people to decide. But specifically, the financial aspect has always been really galling to me of like, this this is the house it's, they have. It's not realistic. Yeah, like that. I think if you're going to be doing a show, it's about regular folks, um, and that's sort of the point of it. I think it's better if you try to represent that in a relatively realistic fashion. And Friday Night Lights, sorry, but I have to make the comparison, did a reasonably good job at that most of the time. Uh, so it's a, it's doubly disappointing that it doesn't do that here. I'm 
I think that parenthood offers people a rubric to do certain things uh, very well that I don't think it always was that great at itself. I think um, so the parallels, there are obviously many and they're clear with uh, Friday Night Lights and parenthood, but the Friday Night Lights has the built family, the constructed family that so many shows have employed. Um, whereas Parenthood, and I think that's the big, that's a big difference. We Parenthood, you actually have aunts and uncles and grandparents and all of that. You don't have any of that on Friday Night Lights, and I really feel like that type of family exploration is something that is unique to the show. And when they're all coming from they're like they're coming from the same socioeconomic background and the show basically is Braverman's and like Hank, you know, like it's all a bunch of, people, you know, so so there was more contrast with that earlier in the show. Certainly when Sarah comes back to move in with her parents and Crosby is struggling more, like there was more of that at a certain point, the show just sort of embraced an optimistic or wish fulfillment or escapist approach to it. Um, and to to the financial situation that these characters uh, of these characters' lives, um, and I'm okay with that. I mean, I do think when we have characters just deciding they'll run for mayor, that gets after a while it's annoying because I'll I'll give you like one or two of those. I'm not gonna give you the luncheonette and running for mayor and quitting your job as a lawyer to spend more time with your kids and it works out uh, at least financially and the school and the school like i i can give you one or two of those but i can't give you all of them and i can't give you them in such quick quick succession but having a show that is at its core optimistic and uh kind of sunny you know you know, blue skies at a certain way follow your passion and um and it will work out. You will find a way to make it work out. That may not be, that might be terrible advice. It may not be realistic at all, but it doesn't mean that I don't wish that for these characters that I've become invested in. So I, I'm, I absolutely see what you're saying, but I guess it's that thing you said, a feature or a bug. And for me, um, I think that that's more of a feature. I, I think, I, I guess I, I, that aspect, I guess would bother me less if, um, if they'd given the characters more interesting things to do over the last couple seasons. I mean, I think yeah. that's really what it comes down yeah. to. I mean, the, so much, like the whole Joel and Julia thing was insulting. I'm sorry. Mm. It just was. It was really poorly thought out. Um, well, it's like you that, could that see was... what they're doing, but there was too much that happened between scenes or off screen. We never got to know what Joel was thinking at all. Like, I absolutely agree with you there. I think it's like, and I've, we've heard from many people saying that that's they've watched their friends marriages fall apart in that exact same way but it's you're not being realistic about a lot of stuff so at least let us see what they're thinking you know like so i yeah, agree with um, you there they managed to i think erase our goodwill for not necessarily goodwill but our just our willingness to hang out with christina <laughs> mm. over the last couple seasons um which is amazing considering how much we felt for her just two seasons ago um she just became a character that was no fun to spend any time with or just even compelling to spend any time with. I don't think uh, for the most part, um, I don't know. It just, th th that was really where it lost me. And I think if, if they'd given, if they'd come up with even one or two more compelling character arcs over the last couple of years, I think I'd be willing to forgive the flab and mm -hmm. the, 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 uh, 
I don't know. The, I guess the wish fulfillment, if you want to put it that way. But I don't know. It, I think it just it, it lost its way. And I don't know how much of that has to do with Kadem's getting involved with other stuff and mm-hmm. uh, sort of having to and sort of other people taking the reins and it going off the rails or whatever. Because I remember there was a specific episode. Was it last season where he came back and tried to fix everything <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't yeah. really stick? Uh, yeah. That was hilarious. So I don't know. Maybe it's as simple as that. But um I don't know. I, I hope that other people will, will pick up on the things that it did well or that it was the only show to do and maybe takes them somewhere more consistently compelling. Uh, but yeah, and the closing montage was fine. It was totally... It wasn't anywhere near Friday Night Lights level closing montage, but it was it was all right. Uh, yeah, I liked that. I, I thought it worked well. Um, again, every, it's like the Bravemans are like bunnies. They all like... they Three years later, whatever oh it is, they all so have babies. babies. And the babies are what make them happy or whatever. I have no idea. But you know what? Um, this parenthood is, is, again, like you said, it's a deeply personal thing. If you connect to these characters, that's what's going to work. And if you don't, then you don't. But watching as, as much as so many of these arcs um, in the last couple of seasons have been, you know, problematic at best. When did Sarah have an arc that wasn't a love triangle in the last couple of years? You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but... When did Joy Bryant see... get an arc? Period. Oh my god! Yeah, right. Ugh, what a waste! <laughs> what a waste of a talented actress. Um, but the the scene like this, I have a very close family. I'm very close with my family. I'm happy to say I love my family very much. And family dinners, like I said earlier, I made a coconut cake to go to drive two and a half hours to go see my grandma and see my entire extended family all for a few hours at dinner. like those family dinners that is a big part of of my family and my my you know and not just the immediate nuclear family but the extended family so that's something that i can relate to in a really significant way and i there's no other show i can think of that even comes close to showing that. So the kind of like the different pairings, pairing off of people and some people have certain relationships and others have other relationships and the little tiny moments that we see the characters share, that's incredibly true to me. So while there's all of this artifice with, with finances and with these other things, to me, the relationships feel absolutely authentic and genuine. And that's something that that's like, it's like a part of my TV viewing. I didn't realize I how much I was missing it until I started watching Parenthood and then this last year with Enlisted, a similar thing. So it feels like there are hardly any shows about people who actually love their families. Just, they get into problems, but they still actually love their family and they want to spend time with them. And so for me, that's I think that just overcomes a lot of the flaws i'm over i'm willing to look overlook so much for parenthood at the end of the day and i i guess that's why <laughs> yeah i think that's fair i can't dispute that um let's move on uh though to a show where fortunately i don't have to overlook a lot at least so far this season and that's justified cash game uh sam elliott shows up this week we, we got to meet choo choo who i that's another you know they make they make his, his, his name is choo choo and they make it work uh well done guys how are you feeling about justified episode two Nothing happens in this episode. Nothing. And I'm totally <laughs> cool with it. Uh, it was really hard to write up for the site, I will say. But um, early on in its seasons, Justified tends to be slow going. It just always is. Like, there's mm-hmm. really, especially second, third, fourth episode after that establishing one, generally not a lot happens. Uh, and that's the case here. And mostly, uh, 
this episode is just perfectly content to just sort of kick it and be really funny most of the time. Like there are a few dramatic moments. Uh, most of the ones, uh, most of them involve Ava, and they're not that great. Um, but there's also a lot of really funny stuff. Everything with Choo Choo, Raylan's little showdown with him, him getting Tim to intercept him in that scene in the bar uh, was fantastic. And uh, to, actually, just every scene involving Choo, like I should really be tired of the show pitting these like smart mouth marshals against these dim witted hoods. But I'm just so not. I'm like, not. I just don't think I ever will be. That's. I mean, that's something that I've heard um, from law enforcement people before. Uh, that the the ones that catch are the stupid ones. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the the ones that you know are the ones who always get caught. Those they get caught because they're dumb. You know, like so. So having the marshals constantly run into stupid criminals is something I am. A okay with. I don't know how accurate that is. I don't know if that's just you know a handful of law enforcement professionals' opinions on it, and I don't know how that fits with stats or anything else. That all I know is that it feels real. It feels authentic, and uh, yeah, I really like the stuff with Choo Choo, and I also I, I like when they give Tim things to do. It worked last season. It worked like, in season four like a charm, uh, and it yeah. really works here. Yep, that's absolutely true. Uh, this is not really relevant to the show, but I have to mention it. Uh, Sam Elliott is on the show now. He's great. Um, and he doesn't have... Doesn't have a mustache, and it totally works. The only reason, by the way, that he doesn't have a mustache is because he didn't when they were shooting it. That's It was not a character decision. It's just he would had another role that didn't involve having a mustache, so he didn't have a mustache, didn't have time to grow one. Or whatever, he just didn't have one. It, that's just how it worked out. And uh, what is that interview that you sent that you sent to me with him? Because it was delightful, and everyone should go read it. Everyone should read it, but I especially loved uh, him talking about how to keep a marriage uh, awesome because it was so perfectly, as you imagine, Sam Elliott would talk about stuff. He was like, hey, you want to stay humble? Just shovel some shit. Because he lives <laughs> on a farm with his wife. It's like, that is perfect Sam Elliott advice. So that was just delightful. Yes, that is it, Vulture. Uh, but yeah, this, like I said, absolutely nothing. And I, I love that even in its final season... Justify doesn't feel the need to do anything differently than it normally does. Like, oh, we've only got eleven episodes left. Uh, all right, <laughs> let's just let's just tick this tick this along slowly. We should also mention Brad Leland mm-hmm. uh, shows up in this episode. Perfect. Like I'm amazed it's taken him this long yeah. to, to, to turn up on Justified. And uh, another one of the funniest scenes of the episode I thought involved his prostitute friend and mm-hmm. her her uh, repulsed face when uh, when Raylan refers to her as. Uh, as as his wife and she's like you <laughs> that was fantastic so anyway i'm very glad to have funny justified back yeah absolutely i i don't have anything to add looking forward to next week's episode and uh yeah cosine on all of that let's move on to babylon uh, episode three and four Thames center in victoria park and we're gonna talk spoilers for this so skip ahead to the next show, which is going to be Fortitude. The timestamp is in the show notes. The timestamp is in iTunes and at the website. So you've been warned. Yeah. Warned. Go for it. Okay. Go for it, Simon. Uh, you made some vague reference when I hadn't watched last week's episode to be like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did. You were very cool about it. Not see that coming. <laughs> Damn. Because, you know, there's a bomb threat in that episode, and then there's actually a bomb, which was a very very cool sequence i thought oh that was surprising not the point of the episode um (laughs) and i'm i'm so impressed with what they do in that episode because over the course of it everything that's happening with the james nesbitt character i'm like i so don't care about this guy anymore Mm -hmm. like this oh so this is what you're doing 
and now you're like more overtly hitting on Brit Marling, and it's like, oh, so this is what this is going to be about now? Oh, oh, and my heart just sank. And they get to that final scene of like, they're not really going to do that. And they totally did it. Yep. And I thought to myself, okay, but he's alive. Because people fall into the Thames and they're fine. Because it's James Nesbitt. Because it's James Nesbitt. Um, but then it, but it makes it like, but you know, like if a cop is going to kill himself, they're going to choose a place where it's going to work because they're going to know. Yeah. So I like, I would have been very upset if they'd copped out with that. Uh. So... We're very sorry. We're very sorry for that pun. Uh, unintentional. Oh, sorry. I didn't. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm sorry. That was not an intentional pun, I promise. Um, and I thought that the way that the following episode uh, dealt with the fallout, both in terms of the way uh, Liz is just, like, gutted and is attacked on all sides by everyone, and then on the street level, they're already joking about it, uh, mm. was, I thought, really great. Uh, the thing with, with Babylon is that it's very much like a uh, parts greater than the... No, some greater than the parts proposition, like the individual plot lines, I don't so much care about. But I think the way that it forms an overall picture of the police force and the media, I think, is really fascinating. Yeah, um, for me, I'm having some trouble with it. I mean, I think it's very interesting and I've enjoyed watching it. I was looking forward to talking about last week's episode uh, uh, once you had a chance to to see it. Because, again, I feel like it's rare that a show like this and this model surprises us so completely. So that that's a ballsy thing for this show to do that in retrospect maybe isn't but given our expectation you know, it's nice to be surprised and it's nice to see a show just take a left turn like that uh write themselves into a corner and then commit to nope this is happening um that being said i like this show better when it's funny um and i feel like it's not you know like this this episode is very serious and obviously with what goes down it makes sense but i feel like it's moving more and all the storylines seem to be moving into more and more dramatic territory with the 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 love triangle that we have going on and with the ptsd and with all of that and so i kind of miss funny babylon and i don't know if that means i'm a bad person or not serious enough of a <laughs> critic but i kind of want them to be making funny jokes again I, I actually did think that even in that fourth episode, which is quite serious, that there were some laugh out loud moments, uh, which is nice. I mean, there's just some of the, some of Sam Bain's one liners are just killer. Uh, that's the writer. He's not any of the actors. Uh, and just the this I, I forget whether it's in uh, in that episode of the previous one, but when they pull the, the suicide prank and uh, and, the, yeah. and the skittish cop is just like, oh, yeah, that was great. Humor is like I like it. Proper dark. Uh, that was great. <laughs> oh, and of course, um, then the episode and... ends with suicide. So, you yes, know. that's we really should have seen that one coming. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't know. I, I think there's there's enough black humor to sort of uh, to, to mark it up. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. You don't necessarily want the show to get too heavy. I think that it can only get as much as certain things are heading towards drama. And I really don't care about the whole cop love triangle thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that with a little bit more distance from what happened and hopefully it'll get a chance to lighten up again. That being said, uh, it's only six episodes in the season, so it doesn't have too much time to get more depressing. (laughs) Yeah. I think it also doesn't help that I just, I don't care about Liz really. I really don't care about Finn. Like there's a lot of these characters that I don't actually care about. Um, And I I think I was most, and until this started going on a romantic bent, I think I was most interested in the Richard and Liz dynamic as, you know, collaborators mm-hmm. and, and like as that conflict between 
the uh, you know transparency and and just be honest with the public and a more jaded perspective. I thought that was an interesting discussion, and that seems to be gone from the show almost at this point. Uh, I'm sure that this again we'll see what happens in episode five, but um, yeah. So that's that's sort of where I am with Babylon. Any final thoughts on it, or shall we move on to Fortitude? Uh, just, uh, just, just to quickly mention, like, there's, uh, it's something. If nothing else, it's a show you have to give credit for for being a show about cops, more mm. or less. That is absolutely nothing at all like any other show about cops. Okay, like zero. Yeah, not, at least currently. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about the cops in Fortitude? Uh, we had saw the two part pilot this week. Uh, right. So, if any, if you're unaware, as we've mentioned before, this is on Pivot. So, if you don't get Pivot, you probably can't watch it. And most of you don't get Pivot. It's airing in the UK on Sky Atlantic. There you go. And it does, that doesn't surprise me at all. By the time you're hearing this, the first episode of the pilot is available to stream on pivot.tv as well. So uh, okay. we'll, we'll, tr- we'll keep the first part of the spoiler free for those of you who haven't seen it, because you, you know my thoughts, but not Simon's. And, and then we'll get, do a couple minutes of spoilers at the end. How about that? Does that work, Simon? Sure. I don't know how much there is to spoil, really, but I guess we'll, we'll get there. Um, uh, it's a very interesting pilot. The fact that it's 90 minutes long and I was able to not roll my eyes at the length at any point, I think is impressive because I, you and I are both terribly, horribly sick of double pilots. Yes. Uh, it's our least favorite thing as people who watch a lot of TV. Um, but uh, And we're also sick of murder mysteries. And we're also sick of shows set in small towns where nothing bad ever happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, so many things that we're sick of. Uh, and this is yet another show where the show is named after the place where nothing bad ever happens happens um so in theory we should be sick of this show already uh but you've watched five episodes and i've seen the first two slash first one and uh i'm pleasantly uh i mean i i need to expect good things because i believe you but uh i think what it does uh really well is uh you mentioned true detective as a point of comparison i think that the mood and the atmosphere is really what sells it more than any individual characters or individual actors. Uh, like you said, it's very much an ensemble piece. Um, Stanley Tucci shows up late. He's great, but it, you don't, you don't, you're not sitting around. You're not like, when's Stanley Tucci going to get here? Wondering, Where's Stanley Tucci? Like, why don't I have Stanley I Tucci? I need the yeah, Tucci. Totally cool. Yeah. <laughs> the Tucci. Yeah. You're totally cool with what you got. Um, the setting is so novel uh, that it, it really does a lot of the legwork immediately. Um, I, I admit that I was sort of happier for the first little bit when there was no seemingly no actual murder mystery. And then when it actually turned into one, I was like, oh, this we're actually getting up. I was sort of hoping we were just going to get to chill out here for a while longer and just have like weird shit happen and not really know what it's for. And then kind of have a mystery. But then we get a proper one. OK, fine. Um and as you said, the, the notion of these ambiguous, possibly supernatural, but apparently not, but maybe, uh, <laughs> I think that's a, that's a that's a fun angle to take. I'll be curious to see how long they can walk that tightrope for. Mm-hmm. That can get annoying. It really can. So for me, in five, it hasn't. But I look forward to following your thoughts on that. Um, yeah. The here's the thing for me. Uh, this is. Because even since I we talked about it last week, I, I've been reading some interviews with the creator or the showrunner, and this town, this area, is utterly fascinating to me because they just kick you out. 
if you if you lose your job, they kick you out. You can't stay. If you're an alcoholic, you can't stay. If you have behavioral issues, you can't stay because it's just too easy to die there and they're not going to be responsible for that. So anyone who should be a problem or, or like a danger in the society or should, you know, ha have motivation to cause any trouble, they kick out. So that mm -hmm. gets rid of the secrets because, because like everybody's, they're normal employed people. They don't have these dark brooding, like they've got all this extra time on their hands. Although, uh, to be fair, in this first episode, I was a little bit disappointed that we already get, like, adultery, and then bad things that happen directly because of adultery, and, like, things like, like very familiar sort of small-town mystery tropes that I'm hoping we don't get much of. I like that they, they're already in the pilot, they're talking about how there's, oh, no, 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 there's lots of, there's lots of swinging in this town. Like, basically everybody is having relationships with everybody, and everybody's, and the entire town is pretty much down with it except for Jessica Rains because, you know, she's not from there. She's new. <laughs> she's new. She's new. She'll get She it. hasn't lived through the dark <laughs> time of the year yet. So once she does, she'll it'll be you know, so at least so there is that and I hear you on that, but um no, uh, the 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 rest of it, I mean I would encourage any of our listeners to read up on the the por por portion of I want to say Norway maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's they mention Oslo in there, so yeah. it's it's I I want to say it's part, technically part of Norway. I just, it's just completely, completely fascinating to me. Uh, what about that cinematography? Uh, well, it's it's sort of like a top of the lake situation where yes, the cinematography is great, but I wonder how much of it they're just being handed to by the landscape. Yeah, uh, but yes, it does. It it looks great, and uh, it's got a fun cat, and it's it's a nice mix of people I'm very familiar with and people who I should be very familiar with, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. uh, so they just seem new to me. Uh, and it's a really great mix of uh, of accents, too, which you would expect from the region. Yeah. No, it's I, I highly encourage people to, to watch it. Um, just very brief spoiler segment segment here. We'll keep this to a minute starting now. Bloop, bloop. Oh, poor Christopher Eccleston. You know, it's funny. I saw on the IMDb page and like, I don't know if you've seen the IMDb listing for the show, but it says Christopher Eccleston, blah, blah, 12 episodes. And, <laughs> and then like later in the, in the episode, it's like, oh shit, he's breathing. I was like, oh, all right. He's not. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I just love the way that you like, because of the mood of the thing, you're like, holy shit, is he like a werewolf or vampire? Or they're making such a big, you know, zombie Chris Eccleston, they're making such a big deal out of, no, he had no pulse, and now he's, and he was alive again, and now he's dead again. It's like, oh, but was he, or was it just, you know, I I love the way that they play with the viewers with that stuff. Yeah, there's, again, like, it's kind of a Scooby-Doo element, which, uh, you know, it's sort of paranormal, but not really, oh, it was just shadows and light. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully they can only pull that card so many times. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll keep talking about Fortitude on the podcast uh, for at least the, the, the next few weeks. Um, and hopefully viewers, you know, hopefully, hopefully our listeners are actually able to watch it. And uh, I, I look forward to hearing what our listeners have to say about the show. Let's uh, wrap things up here, though, with The Americans, which had its premiere, Estmen. Um, and uh, I, I know you're very, very excited, Simon, about The Americans. What, pick one thing, what is your favorite thing about having the show back right now? Um, It might be the best directed show on TV. 
Like, and I, I don't mean necessarily the flashiest all the time, mm-hmm. but just in terms of every week, uh, they find new and exciting ways to make sort of like these routine bits of espionage super exciting, as well as, you know, they've got to shoot so much of it just in the in their house, just with them just sitting around doing regular family stuff. And they've got to make that compelling every week and or just, you know, the FBI office, these spaces we're very familiar with. And that's hard to do without getting boring because so much of the show is just people talking. And uh, they managed to to make the show quietly thrilling every week. And that's also down to scoring and acting and lots of other things. But uh, it's just I find it so technically thrilling to watch even when theoretically nothing is happening. Uh, that and I would say the, the, the depth and the the richness of the character relationships i think those are the main things yeah i mean i can just like the way that they start off the season with elizabeth and philip is beautiful it's wonderful there's so much there and it's all very informed by the history we've we've already you know experienced with them and what we know of their past before they even you know started you know living together doing the you know their mission um and it's all you know just there's the these actors and these writers know these characters incredibly well and they're so comfortable with these roles that they're they're able to to really just bring history to everything that they say with each other and like this is a relationship that until a few years ago was a lot of play acting at least for one of the two of them and so they they so valued the 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 bond that they were able to really grow over the course of the first season and then saw tested and strengthened in the second season and so to have Paige come into you know, like there's no bigger conflict you can have than than your as a parent than your kids i mean i assume not having kids but you know i assume <laughs> and the way that they handle that with also there's also a strong sense that neither one of them wants to lose they don't want to just you know fight they don't want to lose this bond they've created with the two of them either it's just it's it's lovely and not to get into spoilers but something you see over the four episodes that we've watched is the way the argument keeps coming up yeah and it they just can't get through it they have to drop it and they have to come back to it again and again from a new angle and try to get a way in and just it's such, uh, it's such a, an intractable problem that you you really wonder, uh, you know, ha- seeing that at least John Landgraf no- sees this as like a five season show. Like I I am fascinated to think what their conversations must be like in terms of well, there are certain things in the show that need to happen. At a certain point, the kids need to find out. That's just the thing that needs to happen. Like the, the show doesn't end without the kids finding out. No way. Uh, I also don't think the show ends without uh, Stan finding out. I would agree with that. I don't know that the kids need to find out. Certainly, I don't know that both of them need to find out. Um, But uh, I would agree that before the end, Stan has to find out. If Stan makes it to the end. Right. Um, And I'm fascinated by by the timing of those things. Um, Sort of like with Breaking Bad, a certain thing needed to happen. It was a matter of when. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The Americans is a very different thing. But I think that the timing of it could be very different than things happen with sort of everything happening at the end with Breaking Bad. I think you could parcel it out more with the Americans. Um, 
God, what else is happening in this episode? Um, we meet Fra Frank Langella's character. He's such a great addition to the cast. Um, he's not like a traditionally huge name actor, but he's done so many things and he's so good. And he's such a great uh, bit of casting for a character who's supposed to immediately put them at ease. Mm -hmm. And really the only time we've ever seen them both like be immediately put at ease is when he's uh, on screen. And that's a fascinating thing to add to the repertoire. I'll be curious to see how that uh, evolves over the course of the season. Well, and there's always, uh, they feel completely at ease, but I think we know he's a crafty, crafty person. Um, and there's, I, there's a genuine relationship there, but I don't trust him the way they do. Right. Well, because he's clearly been sent to exploit that relationship because yeah. they have a very, they, there is a very difficult thing that needs to happen. And he's clearly there to ease that transition. And that's a very insidious thing. And insidious is sort of the the watchword for the season to me, because the whole thing of, you know, Elizabeth getting closer to paid while she gets closer to Jesus. Which is... <laughs> anyway, um, there's just that idea alone of like, oh, I'm just spending time with my daughter. You're spending time with your daughter going to church. Yeah. <laughs> you, you hate Jesus. <laughs> you think Jesus is worthless. Uh, this, that whole, like, am I being a, is she being a good mother or is she, uh, or is she prepping her? Is she being in, a good like, handler? Subtle, yeah. Is she, is she handling her or is she parenting? Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, and there are these very strategic gaps in what we do and don't see. Um, ah, ah, this is, there's a level of craft going on on every level of this show that, that I don't think more than two or three other shows can even think about approaching. Well, and can we also just, I know it's the flashy part of the show, but can we just have a moment for how awesome that opening is? The, 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 the yes. espionage that we see and the, you know, her beating the crap out of Gad and uh, the, <laughs> the car and, you know, Philip's got a bail and he's at home with the kids. You know, that was all really very very it's a hell of a way to start the show and the show deserves so much credit for like there are so many shows that we've seen like alias or mm -hmm. you know other shows where like with like badass ladies or chicks taking on dudes and making mincemeat out of them and like just we know that physically it's ridiculous uh, a lot of the time it just it, it's ridiculous and like i'm not trying to be sexist or horrible it's just it just doesn't make physical sense yeah and he, the way that 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 they, they block this a makes clear that what happens, uh, like makes physical sense, and B she still does go through the ringer, uh, and I love the physical. Like we don't get all of it this week, but like the there are direct and uh, troubling physical consequences to what happens, and I just I love the way the show pays attention to to to, to the ramifications of violence on several levels. Uh, just. Ah, I wish I wish any other show was as meticulous about that. Hmm. Any uh, final thoughts on the Americans premiere besides, you know, it's really good, guys. Ah, it's so good. I sort of wish we were doing an Americans podcast, but I don't <laughs> want to do any more podcasts. I don't have right the now. time. Yeah, if only. If only. <laughs> um, well, what wins uh... your weekend drama, Simon? Oh, I don't know. This, I mean, honestly, for the next twelve weeks, it's going to be the Americans' prize. I'm sorry, it just is. The 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 Americans award goes to the Americans. And I'll honorable mention Fortitude, because uh, I do think it's a yeah. really fun, a very strong pilot. But uh, no, the Americans award goes to the Americans. I, I mean, you've seen you've seen more Fortitude than I have. Uh, I was just curious out of the out of the five or four episodes you've watched, what was the best one? 
I think it builds very steadily, actually. I think it's very consistent. And uh, I wouldn't say that there is one that stands out above the others. They feel very much of a piece. So You're no fun. I'm no fun. And maybe you'll disagree. Right. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, I, I could see if there's a really good fortitude and a middling Americans, I could see it. Overtaking? Take take taking it, but seriously, it is going to be the Americans' war for the next twelve weeks. So just get used to that. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you don't watch the Americans for some dumb reason, uh, but that's just what's that's what's going to happen. Well, if you show notes here, you can find a post up for this episode at sound.site.org where you can uh, leave a comment, let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can send us an email, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can also, like we said, leave us a iTunes rating or review. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an, M- an MP3 unchaptered feed up in iTunes. You can also like us at uh, Facebook to follow the going- goings on at sound.site.tv. Comment on the, you know, when we post the podcast there, all of that good stuff. And of course, we are both up on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Simon. You are. Uh, at Sucker Howell. And what is our question of the week? Uh, this might be kind of a weird one, but I'm curious if there's... Uh, I mean, the Super Bowl just happened. I don't care about the Super Bowl. Um, but I'm curious, do you have a thing that you get like Super Bowl levels of ritual for that is not the Super Bowl? You mean uh, in in your family or in your, you know, or do you mean like a larger scale thing? Just you know, whatever, however you want to you want to interpret that well because i mean comic-con comes to mind oh i I meant okay but i meant specifically in terms of tv watching oh tv watching well it used to be like the oscars and the golden globes and the emmys and stuff but i've learned that i really don't care about that stuff so um you know nothing really comes to mind unless there's like when breaking bad was ending that was hardcore appointment viewing in my my household (laughs) uh yeah like you, you turn off your phones and stop talking i don't care if it's commercials like that kind of stuff um but on the whole yeah ritualistically i mean i know some people do that for like certain tv shows regularly but i usually don't want to have a party for that stuff like have a bunch of people over to watch game of thrones or these other things because they're going to distract me from watching the thing that i'm watching you know uh what about you i live in ottawa i don't have any friends um (laughs) but i mean i think but i'm betting that people who listen to the show might uh, might have special social television yeah. with their people in life that they know. Let us know your 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 TV traditions. It sounds <laughs> like a great question. Um, now we're going to take a break, and I'm going to come back with Michael Price to talk about F Troop and the Phil Silver Show. So we will be right back. There he is, bellboy. Oh, this is some horse you picked for us, Carter. But for the life of me, Sergeant Bilko, I can't understand how he lost. You know, lots of people go to the races, win a little, lose a little. Not us. We brought our own expert. Born and raised on a farm in Kentucky. Knows all about horses. <laughs> Joined the army. Why? So he could pick a horse for us that came in absolutely last. Good boy. Look at his breeding. Polynesian out of Ding Dong. Well, he's of the same family as Native Dancer. Native Dancer? That explains that slow mambo he was doing. <laughs> I taught my platoon into putting up a bankroll, and I'll zing. Half of it is gone. How am I going to face that platoon? Hiya, boy. Only an enemy's liable to collapse. <laughs> Not him, Sarge. He's a real thoroughbred. He's got courage. Yeah, well, let him face the platoon. <laughs>
suspicious. Come on, give us that famous Hakawi war look. Hakawi, that fighters, we lovers. <laughs> Why we always lose in picture? Because we couldn't sell them otherwise. Let Indian win once and make good novelty souvenir. Yeah, listen, Wild Eagle. Those tomahawks and peace pipes you're making for us are not selling at all. Hold it. <laughs> now, the blankets are fine. Everybody loves them. So we're going to need some more. I'd say about uh, two dozen. No, no. Birds complain they work last three weekends. If we don't get them, we're going to lose the season. They make great gifts for Thanksgiving. The end of the Civil War was near when quite accidentally A hero who sneezed abruptly seized retreat and reversed it to victory His medal of honor pleased and thrilled his proud little family group While getting it on some blood was spilled and so it was planned he'd command F-Troop where Indian fights are colorful sights and nobody takes a lickin'. Where pale face and red skin both turn chicken. When drilling and fighting get them down, they know their morale can't droop. As long as they all relax in town before they resume with a bang and a boom. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, and I'm joined once again this week by the, the fabulous Michael Price. Thank you so much for coming back. It's been so long since we last spoke. Sure. So happy to be back. <laughs> um, so this week <laughs> yeah. you're here to uh, talk about, for a DVD shelf segment, about two of your favorite shows, The Phil Silver Show, also known as Sergeant Bilko, um, and then, of course, F Troop, which uh, sort, of, sort of was spawned from Sergeant Bilko. So what made you want to talk about these shows? Well, I'm a fan of old shows. Uh, I grew up in the New York area where it was just full of these independent TV channels with reruns after reruns after reruns. So, uh, but at the same time, I was a huge fan of comedians and funny people. And I first came across Phil Silver as the star of the Phil Silver show, Sergeant Bilko, in what I will say is my absolute all-time favorite movie of all time, which is, is Stanley Kramer's It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, uh, which is just a huge showcase for star comedians of the late 50s, early 60s. And Phil Silvers, to me, is one of the great geniuses of all time, one of the great comic actors, great comic personas. And uh, so I loved him, and it's a mad, 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 mad world. I first saw that as a, as a kid. And then when I saw him on this TV show, I just sort of came across on a local channel one night uh, when I was fairly young. I just said, oh, this is that hilarious guy, Phil Silvers. And uh, so the Phil Silvers show, a.k.a. Sergeant Bilko, is a military comedy set at a, a, a army base in Kansas called Fort Baxter. It's sort of peacetime, so there's no no one's getting shot at or killed. So... It's hard to do these kind of wartime comedies during war. Uh, so it's really good to do them during peace. And he plays the essential Phil Silver's character, which I think is an interesting thing that people don't do anymore, where like you have kind of like your comic character that you just sort of take from place to place. But the Phil Silver's comic character is a very fast-talking, conniving, scheming, greedy con man. And they put him in the in the charge of a motor pool at this army base in Kansas where he had a whole gang of guys who worked under him and spent every show, 135 episodes with one get rich scheme after another of finding ways to sort of cheat the system, make money, win a bet. And it never worked out for him, but getting there was all half the fun and just this amazing performance persona of 
it's 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 indescribable. You just have to watch it. He's one of the great comedians of all time, and he's sort of forgotten now because he died thirty years ago. But um, and not much of his stuff is on film because he was mostly from stage originally, uh, burlesque and Broadway. He's just one of the great comedy comedians of all time, and that sort of sitcoms format of the schemer trying to get you know, pull pull the wool over the eyes of the the big boss, whatever. It's just a very durable concept, I feel, and um, it did spawn three many other shows. So it spawned uh, McHale's Navy, which is a show with Ernest Borgnine, which is basically Sergeant Bilko in the Navy. Um, it spawned Top Cat, the cartoon show, which is a direct ripoff of <laughs> Phil Silver's. Hanna-Barbera were the, the greatest ripoff artists of all time. Like every, They hardly had an original idea ever. The uh, Honeymooner, I mean, the Flintstones is a ripoff of the Honeymooners. Uh, every character of theirs is a ripoff of some other really great character. Anyway, and then it also spawned F Troop, which is basically Sergeant Bilko in the Old West. Um, and so, I don't know, I can, all I can say is that it's still really funny to me. It's still very smart. It's sharp. It moves super quick. Every episode is basically the same as every other one, which is that he has some other kind of crazy scheme, sort of way to sort of con, get get money somewhere. He finds out that he has a young, um, one episode, he has a young Dick Van Dyke, one of his first shows ever, played a young guy from Tennessee who uh, is an amazing baseball player. So he he makes himself, Bilko makes himself his manage, his agent, and sort of gets him to sign with the New York Yankees. But then when he finds out that they're Yankees, because he's from the South, he won't do it. So then Bilko gets the actual real New York Yankees at the time, Bill Rizzuto and Whitey Ford and Yogi Berra to show up dressed as old-time Southern gentlemen. <laughs> it's really silly. It's very silly. Um, every show, every episode has the same sort of structure in a way. It's a very formal, wonderful actor named Paul Ford, who also is in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World and a bunch of other movies at the time, was a sort of blustery but easily conned dope who mm-hmm. was just a great comic foil for him. I mean, I could go on and on about the show forever. It's just it's just that fun. And it's played in front of a live audience uh, for the most part. I believe in later years they did a thing where they filmed it ahead of time and then showed the film to a live audience to get audience reaction. But it's perform- you know, it has a, it has a feeling of performance uh, which is a thing I miss. You know, there's a huge vogue now, of course, for single camera sitcoms, uh, which are all very fun. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of great ones. And the multi-camera sitcom format is more or less looked down upon, is frowned upon as, you know, old hat or whatever. And only CBS does it for their audience of, you know, old people or whatever. But um, I come from theater. And so for me, when it's done really well, that format can just be better than anything else because it's really you're capturing like a performance, an actual performance of a real person in front of other real people and sort of the joy of a great performer. It's hard to match when you're just in a single camera show shot on location somewhere. And and naturally, because of that, you know, those shows have to be a little more naturalistically acted, film acting style. There's something theatrical that I love about those old sitcoms filmed in front of an audience like like the honeymooners Jackie Gleason or I Love Lucy that it's just missing now and I think we're, we're missing the big kind of comic personalities of that time which came from like the world of vaudeville and burlesque where you needed to have a big character to sort of play to a huge audience and uh, I kind of miss that now too well I think uh, the multi-cam comedy has suffered more than anything else from too many 
bad multicam comedies having their laugh tracks goosed, and so it tires people out from the from the form, formal, uh, format and the formula. So when nothing funny is happening, and yet all of a sudden there's this loud response, yeah. people get you know it becomes they it's disingenuous, and people disconnect from it. But when you watch a show where the actual comedy on screen merits the laughter we're hearing it makes you part of the yeah. experience so as long as it's as long as what we're seeing on screen matches what what we're hearing and what we're feeling i, I don't think there's anywhere near the disconnect but unfortunately that's the trouble right i agree with you i would say you're right i mean one thing i will say i'll correct you on when you say laugh track you know all these shows are with a with a very small exception are filmed in front of audiences so it's I would call, wouldn't call it a laugh track so much as saying an audience laughter. This there is what's called sweetening. You know, there's always a joke about the guy with the machine. You know, when I worked on Homeboys in Outer Space, a show I worked on where we had a live audience, but um, well, I don't want to digress on it too much, but because the show was so technically difficult because we had like beam ins and beam outs, our audience would would be loaded in, and then by the time we got to the third scene, they were all had to leave, walk <laughs> buses to go back home, go back to the army base or wherever people come in. They would bust these people in from anyway. But there is a guy. There used to be one or two people in Hollywood who was the guy with the machine, or the box it was called, and that was the that was the laugh track machine, you know. So then he wouldn't wouldn't really in those shows they wouldn't create laughter, but they would add on to it or heatening it. And so this guy literally it was almost very much like that scene in Annie Hall where Tony Roberts is saying like add a little chuckle here. They did do that. Um, but anyway, you're right. I mean, I, when you see, when you see a show that works that way, it like really works. Like the last to me, multi camera show was uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. I was in the audience for a taping of that show where it had been on for several seasons, and so by that point, the characters were really well known, and it was the hit show. So, but the audience response on that show was gigantic; it was huge. And in fact, the story was that they would write their scripts would have would not be very long scripts because they had so much room for the giant laugh, laughs that the show would get. Um, not every show is like that, of course, but. When I watched that show later on TV, the taping I was at, it didn't look like anything had been added or changed. It just was exactly what happened that way. Uh, so when it's done great, it's great. When it's done badly, it's bad. That's for sure. Absolutely true. Um, but uh, at the same time, I still, there's, when it's done well and you're really, it's, it, you're really watching like a record of really talented actors performing comedy in front of a live audience, there's, there's just something really exciting about that for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that makes the, the Phil Silver Show or, or Sergeant Bilko really work is that you have this very large performance from Phil Silver's, but the other characters around give him the room that he needs to, to make that work. And there, we all know somebody like that who's just a big personality. So because right. you don't have – everybody isn't keyed up to 11 – Bilko is just a character, um, you know, <laughs> in many senses of the word. And so that, that lets it work. And also I think the fact that, uh, you know, despite all of his scheming, this is very much a a middle-class, lower-class person trying to just get ahead. I mean, I think it's like a precursor to somebody like Blackadder, who obviously yes. gets a bit darker uh, than, than Bilko. But uh, if he <laughs> right. if he was hurting other people, it would be different. But he's just trying to, to eke out something from – characters shown to be just as uh just as conniving as he is right exactly that's so interesting i didn't thought of it that way it's true and the other thing is which is unspoken 
you know, is that he was Jewish, you know, so Phil Servers is Jewish and, and he's, I, I don't think in terms of the other characters, there's anything you can say like that's, that person is Jewish or not. Maybe perhaps Doberman, but uh, in a way sort of, he's like the underdog, you know, still trying to get up over the overdog, you know, so he is trying to get, get ahead, get a, get a step up, you know, so that's really interesting. Um, that's a whole, whole thing you can talk about in terms of like, the deal dealing with Jewishness. I mean, I'm Catholic, so I, I don't know anything about what it's like to be Jewish. But I mean, just the whole feeling of like that whole—it's all. It's hardly any characters from the '50s TV shows that you could say identified themselves as Jewish. And thinking about F Trip, what was fun for me is I, because when I was first watching it, especially the way that the pilot introduces uh, the the new captain coming in, and just. Just a moment, just an aside to say, I love the family they give the captain of like what's it's it's the oh, sure. father captain is Farmington. Thor and there's Jupiter and there's Hercules and then he's just right. Time. It was because of the way that the pilot is structured. I, when I started watching F Troop, I was like, okay, so Captain Parmiter is going to be our main character. So we're going from Bilko being the main character to like this completely different bumbling character uh, being the main character. Uh, and it just it was a fun contrast until I realized that, you know, in, in a big way, it's actually the very, the very much the Bilko esque uh, CEO who is, you know, kind of the main character in that story right. as well. Yeah, of course. It's like a combo Bilko of, of uh, uh, O'Rourke and Agarn, Forrest mm-hmm. Tucker and Larry. Storage. Exactly right. I mean, that show is a little bit of a combination of like the plots were Bilko-ish in that they were trying to make money, this, this and that, you know, getting the, I mean, it's very, it's, it's a little difficult to watch nowadays, you know, 50 years later in terms of the portrayal of uh, Native Americans in the show who are all played by, you know, Italians or Jews as well. You know, the, the, uh, the, the chief wild eagle is played by an Italian guy named Frank Decova, mm-hmm. you know, and his uh, henchman is, Jewish guy Don Diamond, but anyway, um, so in a way, it's sort of like a combination of Bilko, but also a very gentle sort of Mel Brooksian pre-Blazing Saddles, you know, parody of westerns, which were at the time were dominant form on television. You know, in the early mid '60s, there were just every other show was a western, so it was almost like a way. It's a combination of three things. It's like a combination of um, uh, of like a Bilko plots, but also making fun of the Western, but also at the same time, a Mel Brooksian kind of sensibility that he brought to Get Smart, which is sort of having fun and being silly and making fun of, you know, tropes and things that were dominant in the regular culture. Yeah, I remember one of the first articles I wrote for Sound on Sight, I just did, did like a statistical analysis, because nerd, of how many <laughs> Westerns were on TV versus any other genre and there were a few years there were 75 percent of television was westerns yeah. i mean it's a huge huge genre that just can't seem to get off the ground again unless it's you know your justifieds or you know you could argue supernatural is a, is a western um you know there's mm-hmm. there's other shows using those tropes but uh, for whatever reason and i think it's interesting to look at the first season of f troop and the second season you know the change from black and white to color for me, that is a significant. There's a significant change. Like those, those sets don't look as believable in color, and you know, it it takes on the staginess, which suits F Troop, I would say, probably much better than the many Western yeah. dramas. Um, right. You know, but but there's still a, a for me a distinct difference between uh, the feel of the shows when it's in black and white versus when it's in color. Yeah, that's interesting too, because I mean, at the time that was when just shows were just trans. 
it was a big deal to have a show in color. And they would, you know, they would say F Troop in color. You know, <laughs> not every show was in color yet, but that's true. When you watch it in color, it looks fakier, which does work. And then you, you know, now that, you know, a little more sophisticated here, if you listen to most of the scenes that take place, um, like in the Indian um, reservation or whatever, the Indian, their Indian camp, like they're all shot indoors in the soundstage. Mm. You hear like the echoing of the soundstage walls. I, I know um, you're you're a very busy person, and we I appreciate and our listeners appreciate the time you've been able to give us. Do you have any final thoughts before uh, before we wrap up here about Phil Silvers or F Troop or or television in general? I would say one thing to your listeners: F Troop is a is a is a very funny show and very fun. But if you do any if you do anything or take anything from this, please go and search out Phil Silvers somewhere. Uh, even if you just watch It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, which is a very long movie, but is sort of an encapsulation of everything in co- that was going on in comedy in terms of comedian and performers 50 years ago. You know, Buddy Hackett, Jonathan Winters, Sid Caesar, Milton Berle. And even if you just skipped through, like you went on, if you got a DVD of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World and just found the scenes that Phil Silvers are in, you will see just one of the great genius performances of all time. Uh, I just, if I could do anything to sort of make people appreciate how great he was and how, what a huge personality and what a great comedian, comic actor he was, that would be great. Um, and I do miss, I do miss, I miss comedy shows that are really, that go for being funny. I think that Simpsons does that, animation, animated comedies do that more than others. Uh, you know, there's, there's sort of a coolness now to certain shows that are coming out where, um, not the single, not the single one out. It's only just, just because I saw it the other night, like togetherness on HBO, and, or even perhaps uh, I think it's called Getting On or Moving On on HBO. There's sort of like a detachment in a way that to these comedies that I, I miss. Maybe because I'm a little bit older, or whatever. That I, I miss shows that are just hilariously trying to be just funny all the time. Like Thirty Rock to me was the last. The last great show that did that it was just a funny, funny show, and uh, I want to. I wish to see more of those. Well, I think it's a, a very you know. There's the nicheification of television means that shows are getting more and more specific as audiences dwindle into more and more cult followers. Not on The Simpsons, but pretty much everywhere else. Um, and, uh, yeah. and and that can mean for a lot of people, maybe they're not the you know creators or the networks aren't going as much for the broad comedy but you know that doesn't mean that there isn't an audience for that yeah. as well so there's all different ways to do it too like for instance uh i just watched it's, it's a fairly new show man seeking woman on fx is very very funny it's sort of you know it's sort of it's a sketch it's sketch feel uh but with with real stories it's very strange very bizarre and super funny i think and and uh i'd like people to Hopefully that finds an audience too. I think there's, you're right. I mean, there's nichification, so there's room for everything. So I think there's room for, for the kind of smaller shows, but also there's room for just people, shows that are just like really great joke comedy shows. Well, thank you for validating us because my co host Simon and I, are, we feel like we're the only critics we know who actually have been praising and telling people to watch Man Seeking Woman. Uh, so wow. it's nice to here's another person on board because we're we're on board with that show. Yeah, I think too because it's like there, there's room for everything. I mean, it sort of goes back to what I uh, I said earlier um, that 
the in terms of uh, the you know the industry in terms of the writing about industry the encapsulation industry whatever you know the blogging and and your your site and AV Club and um, that there tends sometimes to be a, perhaps um, a tension tendency perhaps to overanalyze something or to over criticize. I'm not saying you should if it's something isn't funny you shouldn't criticize it, but I think with that show that show in particular some of the reviews I read felt as if they wanted it to be more than it was, you know, and to me, what it is, is like a really super funny, interesting, quirky, imaginative show that sort of takes you inside the head of this young guy trying to, trying to meet women. And it did, it fires on all cylinders for me. And I think, you know, don't try to make it be more than it is. Just let it be a really seriously funny, funny show. Yep. Sometimes all you need for comedy to work is it to just be funny. <laughs> and, right. Uh, <laughs> on that note, thank you so much, Michael, for taking some time to talk with us today. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, at my at sign is all one together, Mike Price in L.A. It's one thing I thought of about five years ago when I joined Twitter, <laughs> and I wish I'd thought a little bit harder. But it's at Mike Price in L.A., all one together, all run together, no underscore or anything like that. Well, thank you again so much for coming on, and thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Thank you.